Uh, I'm colorblind, and there are certain things I can't see, and that impacts my life all the way down to when I walked up to do communion with the mic, where my daughter Emma is standing here. I am red-green colorblind. So once I became a believer, which was around 20, and I started teaching, these cordless mics made me nervous because I couldn't tell. I remember um, it was Matt Charity's wedding. It was your wedding. And we were at the Thomas Road Chapel, and, um, and Rainy was up there. You remember Rainy? And I, she knows. I, she knew I struggled with it because I can't see the red-green. I can't tell if the mic is on. So I'm more nervous about the mic being on than talking to you all because I'm blind to colors. So if you're blind to the kingdom, it impacts all these areas of your life. And you need that, you need your eyes opened and you need help to see it. And that's what God is offering us. But you can go through life and just flat out not see it. And to you, it's not there. So to me, there's two colors in a rainbow. That's it. That's it. That's all I've ever seen. I don't know what people are looking at. How long can you look at blue and yellow? I don't know. But you people, wow, what a rainbow. We see them in Mexico all the time thinking, okay, the art is cool, but like, I don't get it. I'm blind to it. And so that happens as, as you follow the kingdom, the more you live in it, people are thinking, what motivates you? I don't see what you see. That's right. They don't see what you see. And that's the gift that God gave us was the kingdom revealed it to us. And so this passage is unique. Uh, some would argue it's one of the two or three most important passages in the scriptures. Um, and it happens after some teachings. So there are a bunch of different sayings that Jim went through. Take up your cross. Um, what does a prophet do to, to gain the world but lose your soul? Um, you know, there are a couple things in there. Who's, don't be ashamed of me and my word. So those things have just happened. And he ties in and he says, after these sayings, so I want you to keep some of those sayings in mind as they kick in. Remember, Luke is very organized in these themes. I see him circling back and circling back. And I'll note one thing that you'll, I may forget to mention later as we get to the actual transfiguration, but the appearance part, it, um, the other gospels use the word transfiguration. That's how we get the term, it's metamorphosis. Luke doesn't use that term, and it's, I don't know why, but he may have had a different audience in mind, and words have connotations. And metamorphosis might have reminded them of the Greek gods or something else. He uses a different word. So it's interesting even in the way Luke chooses his words, he's got a certain understanding and audience in mind. So the saints, bring those with you as we go into it. And then he takes up um, Peter, James, and John. I don't know why he just picks the three. They seem to get to go to a couple key things. Remember when I taught a couple weeks ago of uh, the synagogue leader's daughter, Jairus? It's only those three that get to go in. And then in the garden, you'll remember, there's, he calls three uh, again. Two of the three times they fall asleep, which is um, just it's something we'll talk about. But it's the same three. He doesn't rotate other three in. Uh, there's a lot you can make of that and think about, but for some reason it's just these three. And we, what I try to do when I present the scriptures to you is, is to show you the options and then try to get uh, before you as much as possible the aspect that these are people who didn't know how this was all going to play out. And so I hope to put you in the spot of those people. And imagine Peter, James, and John. A lot has gone on and a lot has changed in their lives. And then their lives are going to change. We, we know that James, the James that's here, 
he, in Acts 12, he gets killed by Agrippa, Herod Agrippa. Remember, there are six Agrippas that I went through. I'm not going to test you on them. But he is not Herod the Great. You know, he's the grandson of Herod the Great, who ends up killing James and then puts Peter in prison. Remember, there's a great story. But we usually jump to the Peter getting out of jail. But James, this guy, he gets killed. So we know that happens to him. Peter, we don't know for sure. The best uh, studying I've done has led me to think he's probably killed in the 60s. We don't hear from him much after that. He doesn't mention Nero's persecution. My guess is that he's killed in the 60s, and tradition has it in Rome, and some teachings even has he's, he's crucified upside down because he doesn't want to, uh, he wants to honor the Lord by not being crucified the same way. And then the, fourth, the third one is John. And I haven't traveled to um, Israel, so I would love to one day. But right before we got ready to start Kerem House in Mexico, we were going on this Irish monastic idea back in 03. And there was a mentor of mine who said, you need to talk to this other guy before you do any of that. He had already done the same thing in England. Uh, you might have read the Celtic Daily Prayer book. It was one of those guys who said, but he's outside the town of Ephesus. But you got to go. So I went. And in outside of Ephesus, I went for a run one day. And I knew where it was, but it was fascinating to me. I went up. John is buried there. And so I was standing there. There's no guard around it. There's a metal uh, fence maybe as high as the window. But we know where John is buried. He dies. And you'll remember at the end of the Gospel of John, Peter says, well, what about this guy? And remember, there's a sense of, um, you know, well, this is none of your business, Jesus says, basically. John is writing that. And he does live. And he dies in Ephesus. And he's buried. He's the only one that I know of that we know where he's actually buried. So he doesn't die for his faith, but Peter and James do. And so these guys have trajectories after the, 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 at this moment, there's a lot they don't understand. And when you think of the, the progression, it, uh, we can't put it all up on the screen, but um, there's a stair step, um, kind of three up, three down concept that's going on in Luke nine. So uh, in verse 20, it emphasizes uh, you're the Christ, the Messiah. And then in verse 22, Jesus talks about his suffering. So this next concept is the suffering. And then in verse 26, there's a promise of glory. And then in verse 29, which we're into here, there's a portrayal of that glory. And then the suffering is going to come up in verse 30. And then the Messiah theme again in verse 35. So these things are going on. And keep in mind that um, in best understanding of the perspective of someone at that time had a hard time grasping the concept of a suffering Messiah. So that's one of the pieces of this whole presentation of Jesus that was difficult for them. The kingly Messiah, they could really understand the glory, and it's that word glow is in the midst of it. And I would doubt most, very few people from, from Jesus' area of Galilee ever got to go to Rome but it's fair to say that a concept, if you've ever seen uh, a movie with approaching the Roman emperor in a chariot and everybody cheering, the idea of glowing is, is that sense of honor, of, of everybody cheering for you for your accomplishments. So that, that glowing idea, just how proud you would be. So that might be a concept of, of glory that might be in the reader's mind. So he's up on the mountain to pray. Important to note that Jesus spends time praying. It's also important to note that he likes to pray with and bring others along. Uh, it's doing it in community is important. 
The appearance of his face alters and his clothes become white and glistening. So the clothes part I can kind of get. I have a little harder time picturing the face glowing as much, but the, and, his, and it altered, but they still knew it was him. That part, I, like I said, I have a harder time really picturing what that is, but it must have been incredible, you know, light kind of shining out of him in some way. And then these two guys, Moses and Elijah, show up. So let's think about that for a little bit. They're, this was a shocker for the disciples when they wake up. These two guys are not the same age. You know, it's easy to think that people in history all hung out together like you know, uh, Abraham Lincoln hung out with George Washington, stuff like that. It's not that case. Elijah was around, depending on your calendar, 900 or so years before Jesus, and Moses about 1500. But each of them had uh, lived out in some way some of these sayings that Jesus had said. The idea of just take up your cross, Moses did that. He had to go talk to Pharaoh. Remember how hard that was and, and how he struggled with confidence, but he went and did it. Elijah had to go talk to King Ahab, even though he knew how bad Ahab was and how he probably treated him. Um, they didn't try to save their lives. Moses put his life at risk. So did Elijah. And they're humans. I mean, they, they knew how hard it was. Remember Elijah? He does that great thing with the dealing with all the prophets and, and has this big victory. And then he runs because the queen is mad at him. Remember that? And he despises his life. These are real humans who had to decide, am I going to obey or am I not? And they didn't try to save their lives, just like the verse that said, he who tries to save his life shall lose it. They also didn't use their power to gain the world. They didn't use their influence to gain things for their own kingdom. They were faithful to dispense of the authority and the power they were given to further God's purposes, but they didn't try to hold any of it for themselves. And finally, they weren't ashamed of the words of God. It would have been easy for each one of them not to talk. <laughs> I'm sure before they went and talked to Pharaoh and the king, they probably, you know, just, okay, what exactly am I going to say here? I know there's no good way to say this without taking this guy off. There's just not. But they weren't ashamed. They went forward and did, um, did what they were asked to do. And then remember how Luke is, what he's showing and what I'm gathering is he's really trying to tie for the readers, and maybe he's writing about 30 years after Jesus, so 60 AD, he's trying to tie in how Jesus is the fulfillment of the story you already know. So he keeps tying back into the key leaders that you would recognize if you were in that um, following Jesus, uh, following uh, the Lord as a good obedient Jew, you would know Moses and Elijah, and even in Acts 3, he claims Jesus is the prophet that Moses was saying would come after him. So they're on a mountain. There's a couple mountains that could be the option. Uh, one is 2,000 feet high, one's 4,000 feet high, and one's 9,000. I don't know that they went on the 9,000 one. But either way, it's a walk. So if you guys have done Peaks of Otter, uh, you get a little tired at the end, depending how, I don't know if Jesus was a fast walker or not, but they, these guys get to the top of the mountain. And you're going to see in the aspect of the kingdom that he's about to demonstrate, it, it's really seeing Jesus. We can forget some of that if we think of other aspects of the kingdom, but the kingdom at this point is really seeing Jesus. That's the most important thing, that we're going to see Jesus. And John, when he talks about eternal life, he says in John 17, it's knowing God. So knowing Jesus is the most important thing, and we get a real glimpse of just that. There are other aspects of the kingdom that Jesus talks about, 
But this one is the lesson for today, is really seeing Jesus. So, Adam, if you want to flip to the um, flip to the next screen, that would be great. So, it's, um, it's Moses and Elijah, and that's the who part, um, who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish at, accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and those with him were heavy with sleep, and when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. So, uh, I don't know if Moses and Elijah were glowing or not. They may have been. And is this a picture of what we're going to do? Is What will we, we be like? Uh, some of you, I don't know, many of you won't be here in 100 years. I don't expect to be. Will you be able to recognize me? I think so. They knew who Moses and Elijah were. They they knew who they were. So there was a distinction of a personhood. I don't think we all look like, um, you know, just unanimous, I don't know, I just saw Star Wars, like the white guys, um, you know, the stormtroopers and stuff. I, I think we look different. I, I think I'm gonna have red hair, potentially. And watch out, because when light is beaming through this, you're gonna see some, I can't see it, but people always, tell me how you're here, you know, so um, it, it may just watch out, because it, it might shoot through in colors you're not ready to, I might get to see them too, but, um, so Moses and Elijah, let's put yourself in their shoes, what do you think it was like? It, do you think it was like that scene from It's a Wonderful Life where they have like the two meteors and they call Clarence in and God says, look, uh, yeah, I know you guys have been doing things for centuries. Let me tell you about um, Jesus. You're going to go down, you know, here's your George Bailey. Here's what you need to know about George Bailey. Here's what you need to know about Jesus up to this point. He just, you know, took out, uh, took Jairus' daughter back. Do you think they did that? Do you think they had to be updated? Do you think they had some heavenly transport that they maybe got to know each other? I'm assuming they bumped into each other in a couple centuries. They had maybe it's so vast up there that... They, they have it? I don't know. Do you think they were asleep? Do you think, what do you think they were doing? I think they were engaged in something that they seem pretty clear and on topic if they were been asleep for a couple centuries. I know I'm not good after just one night of deep sleep, of quick conversation before I've had my coffee. If I was asleep for a thousand years, and then all of a sudden I was like, what, uh, what are we talking about? The earth, what, you know? No, they, I think they knew what was going on. I think they were in tune with what was happening. They probably did not need to be updated. And the glimpse that I get from that, uh, if you look at Revelation uh, 6, I think it's 6, the saints are there ask how long something's going to go on at earth, in earth. So I don't know in your mind, when you think of the saints in heaven, I don't imagine them just sort of staring over this like earth thing and, and watching all the time. I like everybody, but I don't know that I want to do that all day when I'm in heaven. I'm, I might want to know what's going on in earth, but I don't want to just watch. So I don't know that they're what they are aware, I think, but I think they're doing other things. And I just throw that out to you to just maybe develop in your own mind what you think is going on there. The similarities, uh, Moses had a shining face in Exodus 34. So that was similar to what Jesus, uh, remember he had to wear a veil. Moses died and is buried by God. That one's unique from Deuteronomy 34. And then um, there's passages on the teaching team. Don loves on the team. Don, if we ever do this passage, it's all you, man. 
Um, it's the one where Moses, or Michael the archangel, is disputing with the devil over Moses' body in Jude 9. I, I don't know what to do with that. But something's going on on this realm that we don't know about, but it's real. It's real and it's happening. So Jesus uh, is talking to these guys. Moses knows what it's like to be dead and buried. Elijah does not. Um, Elijah goes off in a chariot and in a whirlwind on fire. So uh, he ascends, which that Jesus does the ascending. And maybe they talk to this particular, what does that feel like to be like lifted up in the air? I don't know how particular they got, but Elijah and Moses had different exits from this earth, and Jesus was going to experience in some measure uh, both of those. And it says, it does tell us one thing they talked about. They spoke of his decease. And the word, the Greek word in there is actually the word exodus, which is interesting. That's the Greek word that Luke uses, exodus. So it is this, um, as I thought through that, what a unique use of the word, because it's not just death. He, Luke is tying in exodus to leading out, you know, by his death, he's leading us out into something. And I thought that was a unique word to choose uh, because it, it does show the future. We just celebrated it in communion. His death isn't an end, it's not a demise, it's, it's a leading out, it's an exodus. And we are following those of us in faith who have faith in him. So, you know, why this topic? You know, why is this what they needed to talk about? Maybe what is uh, encouraging to me is that Jesus wants people around to talk about it. It was going to be a tough couple weeks uh, leading up, and it was also going to be a particularly tough day. I don't know how many of you have seen the movie The Passion, but what struck me about that was I usually thought of most of the pain and discomfort coming on the cross. But when you see that movie, that how it really lets out how bad that day was, that's a tough day to get through. Moses and Elijah did not experience that, but they may have talked about it's worth it on the other side because the scripture says that Jesus for the joy set before him. So, you know, if you've ever been through something and there's a joy, and I think we set a record a couple weeks ago. I saw one of the babies in here. Uh, we had three babies in one week. If you're having your first child in, and uh, you're talking to other moms and they, they tell their stories about what it was like in the delivery room, there are challenges with it, and everybody's story is unique, but the joy of when that baby comes is something that is incredible. And for the joy of seeing your child, you can push through the pain there. So maybe even they were talking to Jesus, reminding him of the joy of being in the eternal kingdom. Maybe that's what they were talking about, was just how joyful you would be. So next up, Adam, if you want to switch us over. He says... Uh, then it happened, as they were parting from him, that Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, not knowing what he had said. And while he was saying this, a cloud came, overshadowed them, and they were fearful as they entered the cloud. All of us, probably, I know I have, have said and done dumb things. And especially when I was younger, so you may forget about it if you get to move to a place that you didn't grow up and you don't live around your siblings. But I've had it where I'm sitting at Thanksgiving with my siblings and they'll bring up something that was really dumb that I did or said that I've managed to forget about. Well, it's, you know, right there. I've got two brothers and a sister and we laugh about it, but I did some really dumb things. Like one time, 
I thought it would be fun to bring our Nubian goat in and lock it in the bathroom with my six-year-old sister. I don't know what I was thinking. I'm sure it sounded fun at the time. She did not think so. But I've had that brought up at Thanksgiving. Now, fortunately, that story won't be passed on for generations and generations. But with the disciples, Peter, James, and John, Peter more in particular, every dumb thing that he did is not recorded, thankfully. But a number of them are. And they are embedded in the Holy Scriptures, the very thing that each of us are supposed to meditate on as the Word of God. Imagine if for the next 2,100 years, my stupid move with the goat was embedded in the Holy Scriptures that people had to memorize and talk about and interpret. Like, what kind of goat was this? Was this a Nubian goat? Was this a, you know, how long was the goat in here? Well, we know that bathrooms in the 20th century were about six by 10, and the toilet was about here, and a six-year-old was about this height, so you're probably standing at this, and did he lock the door? Yes, doors at that time had locked, and someone's like, the significance of the lock, and the goat was significant of like sin, and the sin offering, and maybe the, you know, you can see it going on and on. Well, 4,000 years from now, they see the guy with red hair from, that died in the 21st century, or they, they'll say, um, you're the guy with the goat, right? Imagine that. So this is Peter, James, and John. Their stuff is in there. Peter, the most part, James and John, right in, in the next sections, talk about how they want to be first and second, and their mom goes and talks to Jesus. It's in there. It's in there. And I may have to talk about it in a week or two. They would just as soon forget that. Like, oh, I'm sorry we sent mom to do that. But it's in there. Think about uh, Peter. I'm going to wrap up in two minutes or so. But um, this one... It, it just try to put yourself in Peter's spot. So he gets up and he's like, he's got to say something because it says he doesn't know what he said. It's good for us to be here. Well, it was good in a sense that Jesus invited him. That's a good enough reason. And he may have been trying to figure that out. Uh, it sounds like he was just blurting something out like I do when I get woken up first thing in the morning. But they may have want, they may have sensed everybody was leaving. Imagine Moses and Elijah showed up. You might want to have questions. I don't know how many of you have seen the Night at the Museum movies. But like those movies, you get to talk to Sacagawea, or you get to talk to um, uh, Teddy Roosevelt. You might have some questions. I would want to ask Moses and Elijah something. I, I might have tried to slow it down just to say, hey, what was that fiery chariot like? Or what's it like up there? In the eternal, I would have tons of questions for Moses and Elijah, and they seem to have missed the moment. The booth idea, I think it's coming from the tabernacles um, in Leviticus 23, which was celebrated about this time of year. And it, it, it celebrated the you know, exodus from, from Egypt. And it was a time of real celebration for families to get together. And they, they kind of camped out, so to speak. And he may have been thinking of that and setting that up. When you think of how God set up the, the rhythm of the Old Testament feasts and all, it's a good insight into the blessing that God gives to humanity. Imagine if every day was Monday and there were no weekends. We're doing Labor Day, which Labor Day is, is, a, is just a chance to rest that started in the late 1800s. We like those weekends. We like those festivals. The Jews did as well. So Adam, if you want to move to the last one, um, we'll end here. So a voice uh, comes out of the cloud and says, this is my beloved son, hear him. 
And when the voice had ceased, Jesus was alone. But they kept quiet and told no one in those days of anything that they had seen. It's socially awkward to be cut off by someone when you're speaking. And you know how it is when you're talking all of a sudden it touches off bounds. Imagine being cut off by God. Um, that's what happened. So Peter, God basically told Peter to just quiet down. And the, um, the picture that you can have is this, the glory descending on a mountain is something that, again, Lucas is weaving into this story just so we're tying Jesus in. Exodus 24 talks about the glory of the Lord resting on Mount Sinai, a cloud covering it for six days. And on the seventh day, he called Moses out of the midst and out of the midst, out of the midst of the cloud. So that picture is something that again he's weaving in. This is not unusual for God to call you on a mountain, to have a cloud descend, and to have a meeting there. And then one thing to think about again: put yourself Peter, James, and John's on a spot. They don't say anything about it. I was trying to think about why, and I thought I think people would think they're crazy because Jesus. They they it's interesting, but they they can see Jesus. If I came down, if I stood up next week and said, yeah, I just had the best conversation with Thomas Paine and Aristotle last week. I mean, they were, I talked with them right here at the Sheeps in Madison Heights, and you would think I was nuts. So they may have not said anything just because it just sounds a little crazy to talk to people that have been dead for centuries. So there's two scriptures I want to um, end with, and... Uh, one of them is from Isaiah. Remember how I said that at the time, I think the, one of the most difficult concepts about Jesus was to get this idea of a suffering Messiah. So this is Isaiah 42. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. He will not cry out, nor raise his voice, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoking flax he will not quench. He will bring forth justice for truth. You get a picture of a very um, toned down, humble uh, servant. And that's not what they expected. They expected the king on a horse. And then we have another uh, unique passage in that Peter, years later, reflects on this moment. So this is Peter looking back on the events in, in, in that we just read about, 2 Peter 1. He says, you do well to remember this event, which is what we just did, as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. What a beautiful picture. I'm gonna pray that over us and then we'll uh, shift to the announcements. Lord, I pray that we will remember this event. I pray that we will remember communion like we did. Store them in our hearts, Lord. Help us to see your kingdom. Help us to see what's real until the day dawns and the morning star rises in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.